opinions expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of Salem Communications, staff, management, or advertisers. Activist Radio is on the air. You've tuned into the Mark Harrington Show. Sponsored by Created Equal. Time is running out for our nation. I beg of you, you need to stand against the evil that's plaguing our nation. If you don't like abortion, don't have one. The only thing that can be said to be objective truth is that there is no objective truth. Like, you kill a baby fetus, the same thing as killing any old inanimate object. I would argue that we certainly are not all created equal. Mark is training a new generation of leaders. people it's your movement now it's not your parents anymore the blood that is shed cries out to god from the ground for justice and now here's mark judicial activism legislating from the bench judicial supremacy that's what we're going to be talking about today on the Mark Harrington Show with your radio activist, Mark Harrington. And you can find out more about our radio program by going to markharrington.org. And you can find out more about Created Equal, the organization that I head up by going to createdequal.org. Well, folks, I mean, 2020 has been, a, a, to say the least, a very different year for many of us, of course. With the COVID-19 crisis, then we have the riots, the looting, the arsons, the protests. And now the U.S. Supreme Court's starting to hand down their decisions. And that generally happens around this time of year. That is June each year. They hand down their decisions. And this week, on Monday, the United States Supreme Court handed down the decision in Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia, in a 6-3 decision, they basically wrote that the Title VII, that is the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Act, uh, includes sexual orientation and gender identity as reasons you cannot uh, discriminate in employment. Uh, and so we're going to be talking about that today and the implications of these types of decisions. Uh, the, the majority of the decision was, or opinion was written by Neil Gorsuch. And of course, Do Gorsuch is one of uh, Trump's recent uh, nominees, appointees to the US Supreme Court. We thought he was a textualist. We thought he was a strict constructionist. You gotta wonder after this decision where he stands. And of course, unfortunately, Justice, uh, uh, Justice Roberts joined him in the decision. In order to talk about this, we're going to be talking with my good friend uh, and colleague, that's Catherine Short from the uh, Life Legal Defense Foundation. Catherine, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Mark. So, uh, you know, we're looking at the U.S. Supreme Court, those who watch it very closely, and I know you do. And this decision that was handed down on Monday, along with the decision that uh, I guess forbade uh, churches in California from opening up just several weeks ago. We're seeing recent decisions that continue to indicate that the U.S. Supreme Court is unlikely to stop this trend that's been happening now for a generation of legislating from the bench. That means basically making law rather than leaving it to the, um, the U.S. Congress or the state legislatures to make. 
They're usurping the separation of powers. Uh, basically, we have uh, one one branch of government that uh, basically is is more powerful than the others. That's judicial supremacy. Uh, this decision on Monday, this uh, decision, Bostock versus Clayton County, Georgia. How do you read it, and why do you think it's a problem? As we look forward, as pro-lifers, we look forward to the June medical decision that could be coming out in days, and then, of course, ultimately Roe versus Wade. Uh, Mark, the the funny thing that happened in that Bostock decision was that Gorsuch, if you asked him about it, you might, say, you might say he was doubling down on textualism. He was doubling down on saying, oh, I, he said, as it was described by the dissenters, is he was looking at the literal meaning of the words instead of the ordinary meaning of the words, uh, the words being on the basis of sex. You know, when that law was passed, what, what people would ordinarily think that means when you talk about discrimination on the basis of sex means discrimination, discriminating between men and women. Right. And um, certainly at the time, that was the understanding. And of course, it doesn't even really dispute that. Um, and but but he he took such a granular, finely defined version of what it means to discriminate on the basis of sex that it meant if you can, if you would not treat a man and a woman in any respect uh, the same way, then it was discrimination on the basis of sex. So, and, and it kind of depended on what, what was the rest, what was the predicate for that? Well, the, he would say, well, if, if, a, if you would allow a woman to be, to be in an intimate relationship with a man, then you've got to allow a man to be in an intimate relationship with a man. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. you can't discriminate on that basis, whereas the more ordinary mean, reading would be neither, we, we, we would not hire either men or women who were in intimate relationships with persons of the same sex. That would be the, the ordinary meaning of it. Um, you know, we, in other words, we are treating men and women the same, um, whereas his, say, you might say, ultra uh, fine definition of on the basis of sex meant that if in, you would, if there's any way you could fill in a sentence that you wouldn't say man and woman the same way, that and then it was a discrimination on the basis of sex. My guest is Katie Short. She's with Life Legal Defense Foundation. You can find a, find them at lifelegaldefensefoundation.org. Uh, Katie, what I find very troubling in this decision is apparently the United States Congress was actually for years now trying to upgrade the, uh, I guess, the Title VII law to include sexual orientation and gender idea, identity. Why do you think the U.S. Supreme Court would jump in the middle of this? Why don't they allow the legislative process to handle it? I mean, why are we seeing this continuing all over and over again where they jump in where they don't belong? It, it is a mystery to me as well, Mark. I, I don't understand that. And it wasn't like nobody pointed that out. That was, that was the subject of a lot of the, uh, both the principal briefs, the amicus briefs, the dissent. They, they went through that entire history of the attempts and, you know, getting closer and closer to, uh, you know, writing those uh, uh, sex, uh, gender identity and sexual orientation into the statute, had never quite done it. And as was pointed out, in, because the court did not wait for the Congress to do that, instead jumped in and, you know, leading the parade, apparently, what they thought they were doing, um, 
there is no room then for uh, distinctions and exceptions that would happen through the legislative process. Like, do we want to make an exception for sports, right. uh, locker rooms, bathrooms, the things that we're right. seeing happening at the state level where those things are being argued about and, 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 and the, the, the process has gone through in an orderly somewhat way, but at least there is, there is a discussion of those things. In this case, as with Roe versus Wade, the court steps in, paints with a broad brush and um, and then there you know there's no more room for that sort of negotiation and um, and bargaining and uh, discussion of of whether this makes sense in all these contexts. I also understand that actually in the opinion, uh, Gorsuch mentions that there are these these issues are out there and are going to likely come before them in the future. Uh, and there's already some in the pipeline regarding sports and bathrooms and all of that. I just don't get it. Uh, here's Trump's one of Trump's nominees, right? I mean, he went through the process. Uh, he considered himself a strict constructionist. Uh, one reason why we vote for uh, pro-life or, or Republican presidents, generally speaking, is because we want those types of people on the U.S. Supreme Court. And then half of them, generally, I mean, if you look over the last 40 years or so, half of them disappoint us and head in the other direction. We're seeing that with John Roberts, uh, the chief justice. So it, it puts into question this entire strategy that uh, we have followed for a long time as pro-lifers, and that is to change the law, the Roe v. Wade decision, to strike it down, to overturn it. We wanna elect presidents who are pro-life or strict constructionists or believe in that, and then put those types of people on the court. But inevitably, they disappoint us, and that's what's happening here. I wonder, how do you, what do you think about the entire strategy? Should we throw it out now, or we continue to work uh, to try to keep uh, those types of people in the White House and put those kind of people on the court? Well, I, I certainly wouldn't throw it out until someone comes up with a, a better alternative. Better plan, yeah. <laughs> so, which I want uh, to talk to, but there maybe there's other alternatives, but yeah. And, and, and we also see, you know, at the lower court, in the lower courts, uh, there are changes. It's always better to go up to the court as the, you know, as the appellee than the appellant. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's, there are still changes happening in the courts, in the lower courts that are, that we are seeing the effect of that's not so prominently as you see in court hands up a decision like this. Well, clearly, uh, just, Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch uh, is a disappointment. I'm, I'm hoping this is an aberration <laughs> because we have this uh, upcoming case, June Medical versus Rousseau, dealing with abortion, dealing with the uh, hospital privileges that are required in the state, as it, I think it was Louisiana, right? Where uh, those are required of abortionists in order to uh, be able to... Uh, you know, the, keep these places open. You were sitting in the courtroom that day. This was in March. I was outside in, in front of the U.S. Supreme Court on that day. I think it was March 4th or something like that in uh, 2020 when they heard the case. I know I, I, I don't want to ask you too much here as far as looking into your crystal ball, but you were in the courtroom. You heard the arguments. How do you think the court's going to land on June Medical, which is a and you know another key abortion case? Well, I think um, don't get your hopes up. 
Okay. Uh, I, that's, that's what I would say. Um, I, but that's, that's the bad news. Bad news is don't get your hopes up. The good news, good news is, is as this case played out, I, we, we also filed some amicus briefs, which brought me to some familiarity with the issues. Um, as this case played out, its role in the overall abortion legal battle strategy of the Supreme Court, to me, seemed to get kind of smaller and smaller. And you, I mean, you could never see that ahead of time. You know, you just, you can only see as these things, you know, as the arguments are made and how they are played out. And what I saw was it, the issues becoming more and more fact intensive and fact, you know, locked into the facts of what was going on in the ground in, in Louisiana. And even more specifically, what was going on with do doctors, you know, Doe 1, Doe 2, Doe 3 through 6. You know, we were, they were down at the level of saying, you know, now how hard did Doe number 2 try to get admitting privileges and which hospitals did he apply to and, you know, how long did it take to get the response? And, you know, it was extremely fact intensive. And so, uh, you know, I will look into my crystal ball on this one and I am afraid that I think we're going to lose. Um, and I think, um, you think it'll be a five, four, you think Roberts will be the swing on that one. I think he will be the swing. I will say, I'm going to guess he'll write the opinion and in a way I would say, I hope he writes, if, if that's the way it's going to go, I hope he writes the opinion and writes a very narrow opinion, um, that says, well, this statute didn't make it. I, we're not, we're not saying that no admitting privilege statute could be upheld. We're not saying um, that clinics will always have standing to bring these actions. Um, what we are saying is that in this case, this standing, the way this litigation went, um, you, you didn't you didn't make it. My guess is Katie Short, VP of Legal Affairs with Life Legal Defense Foundation. We're talking about the U.S. Supreme Court and the decision this week on Monday to extend Title VII protections to. Um, to uh, sexual orientation and gender identity and the implications of Neil Gorsuch uh, now siding with the quote unquote liberals, if you want to say, on the U.S. Supreme Court and the implications on that as far as June Medical and Roe versus Wade. So in June Medical, I mean, I don't want to get into the weeds here too much, Katie, but uh, in uh, several years ago, uh, after the death of Samuel Alito, the court had a similar case and it came out 4-4. It was a split. And so the lower decision stayed in place. Uh, isn't this a similar decision? And um, it, it, does it really affect abortion, I guess, overall? Is, is it going to be a big landmark kind of a decision or do you see it as not being that critical to our, uh, you know, going forward in our fight to, to protect unborn children? Um. Just, just a few corrections. It was not Samuel Alito. It was just. Uh, I'm sorry. It's Clea. I'm sorry. You're right. And, and, Thank God, Alito is still on the court. <laughs> yes. Um, but I, I also, I, if if you're talking about the Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt case, yes, uh, that that was actually five three. So five, we weren't three. even even with Scalia on the court, we would have lost that one, uh, because it was Kennedy in that case who sided with the liberals. Okay, I'm sorry. And. and um, yeah, and that that is the problem that that case set a you know that is the precedent to to that is the precedent to meet in this uh, okay. in the June Medical Services, and that is exactly the point that was hammered 
by the attorney for the clinic in Louisiana and playing exactly, she pitched it exactly to uh, Justice Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts' um, institutional concerns about the court, the idea that no, we're not going to overturn precedents just because now we have the numbers to do that. That was kind of the, you could tell that's what she was pitching it to. You mm. know, all that's the precedent now. And, you know, there's no good reason to depart from that. And uh, at the argument, I, he, he kept pressing on that and, you know, it was almost like, give me a reason to overturn it. Give me a reason to find that this is different from whole woman's health. And it's not clear, clear that the uh, solicitor general succeeded in doing that. Um, the, uh, one of the, one of the questions had to do with, you know, does, does this, uh, admitting privileges law. It had you had to have admitting privileges within 30 miles of the of the where the abortion would would take place, and the, uh, the the argument on the other side was that just doesn't make sense. If if it's to prove that the doctor can get credentials to the hospital, why does it have to be within 30 miles? If it's for yeah. the whole continuity of care issue, you know they they admitted that a lot of women they only have their complications when they go home, especially when you're talking about the abortion pill. So to say, why do you have to have as many privileges within 30 miles of where the abortion is done or within 30 miles of the clinic? Um, and there were not really, excuse me, good responses to that. Um, and, but again, that's where I could see Robert saying, I'm not saying that all admitting privileges laws are bad. I'm just saying, you know, maybe this 30 mile limit doesn't really work or- um, Right only for surgical and not for medical abortions, things like that. Right. Well, you know, I was outside the court for that in March. And, you know, I've been at this for many years, Katie, and so have you. And, you know, it's frustrating as you're sitting outside the court thinking about what they're deliberating inside. And we're not talking about whether abortion should be is constitutional or not, whether Roe v. Wade should be overturned after 46 years. It's very frustrating as a pro-life activist to I think that we're still kind of trimming around the edges here after 46 years. And I just want to ask you, if you look at the court right now, uh, obviously we, we have two conservative strict constructionists. I think they're bona fide uh, textualists. That's, uh, you know, Justice Thomas and Alito. The others, we don't know. Kavanaugh, now Gorsuch, you don't know. And I think Roberts is, is a, a problematic there's a lot of talk about the imminent uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade if Donald Trump were to get reelected. How do you see it? I don't see it in the math, and I'm not trying to be, you know, Johnny Raincloud here or anything, but I'm a realist and I look at it and I think we don't have the numbers. And if he gets reelected, that's a good thing, but that still doesn't guarantee this. So, how do you see it going forward? I think. One of the things that was disturbing to me about the June Medical Services case is that the way, and I certainly agree with you about the you know nibbling around the edges, is that yeah. the pro-lifers, the you know the quote unquote pro-life position on this was ha had to be for the way the issues were, were were framed was don't worry, women will still be able to get abortions. Right, which Clinics is frustrating. I was out front, and that was the. That were the that was the talking points of the pro-lifers, and that would just drive me crazy. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Sorry. Yeah, we're just trying to make abortion safe, and I <laughs> and I Hello? I admit, Mark, I was I was like I 
kind of I'm with the pro, you know, the anti-abortion movement, not the pro-safe abortion movement. No, right. And um, you know, and I, I realize things happen during litigation, and you, you, you know, you make your best strategic judgments about how to argue a case. Yeah. But I, I was disturbed by that. The fact that it was, you know, the, the pro-abort side was, this is going to cause clinics to close. The pro-life mm -hmm. side was, no, it well, won't. no, it's not, or you haven't really proved that it's going to cause clinics to close. Right. That's um, right. And that, to me, I, 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 well, I left there looking forward to, uh, I went back, in fact, searched a lot of docs to see, okay, when is the case coming up that will actually really confront Roe versus Wade, uh, really confront Planned Parenthood versus Casey? Um, say, you know, what are the, a, a, you know, a heartbeat bill, a... Uh, uh, yeah, what are those? I mean, because people are interested in that. They think that the court could basically reverse Roe on any abortion case. Is that... Is that the the truth, or is it has to be something that deals with the the legality of abortion directly, like a heartbeat bill or a total ban on abortion? It ha I think it's going to have to be something that is irreconcilable with Roe, because gotcha. that was these cases, Hellerstedt, right. medical schools, they have been argued on the basis that these laws are reconcilable with Roe, and you know, and so that's it's always like, don't worry, you you can you can uphold the law without overturning Roe. Yeah. So uh, spe speak to that uh, in the time that we have. I want you to speak to the just the, uh, you know, as you look ahead, you look at the court, you understand the court. Where do we stand? Let's assume that Trump gets reelected. Best case scenario. Well, I think I, I think it's generally agreed. I, I, I think now <laughs> the thought, the thinking is not to speak for this whole amorphous pro-life legal community, but um that Roberts is not going to be the one to no. take the court to to overturn Roe on a case where they're not explicitly asked to overturn Roe, or right. that is not the only choice uh, to overturn Roe, and then therefore um, I think a case like that has to come before them, and um, I mean I'm not I'm not ruling out that Roberts along with the other you know Gorsuch, Alito, Thomas. Um, uh, uh, Kavanaugh could vote to overturn Roe versus Wade, even without another justice there. But I think it has; to, it's going to have to be done on a case that directly con con uh, contradicts Roe, um, yeah. and with a with a great factual record to back it up. I think is the other thing. And do you think and, it's going to have to be more than a five-four? I mean, a lot of people believe it has to be a super majority, more or less, a seven-two-six-three, because that's what Roe was. Roe was seven-two. Right. Well. Legally, it doesn't have to be. Legally, right. it doesn't have to. Be if, if you're, if you're, but I mean, because because Roberts is more of a consensus builder type chief justice. And in that case, he's never going to get that consensus from obviously any of the liberals currently on the court. No. So yeah, you would definitely have to have one of them retire, and be replaced. And a lot of the talk says best, you know, would be really good if it was a woman. Um, right. And um, well, I've been, know, sending, I've been sending I've uh, been sending retirement brochures to Ruth Bader Ginsburg for decades, but apparently she's not reading them. I took I, I, I was sitting in the court in, in about the same time in, in 2014 and looking at her and thinking, wow, she can't last much longer. So I, don't know. I think she's going to yeah. hold out. <laughs> right. So, we got about a minute left, Katie. Let, let's wrap this up. Um, you know, I, I understand that it's going to be dis, uh, disappointing for pro-life activists. 
And we need to continue to work, in my view, you know, we, we need to work for the re-election of Donald Trump, obviously, because we can change the court and hopefully bring about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But I, I think we're at the point, and I, I've been advocating this for years, is that we just stand up to Roe and we find out if we can find a state legislature who will pass a law to ban abortion and then have a governor and an attorney general enforce it and see what happens, nullify Roe, defy it. What do you think of that in the few seconds we have left? And I know I'm not going to give you enough time to give you your opinion on that. But there is, a, a, you know, some more people out there starting to think, you know, going, going this direction ain't going to work. We got about 30 seconds. Well, I think uh, it, it would all depend on how, how that was brought about, right? whether you're talking about straight executive action, we're going to padlock a clinic, whether right. you're talking passing a law that, you know, and then, then it takes the federal marshals to come and unpadlock it. Right. Uh, or whether you uh, are talking about prosecuting an abortion uh, abortionist, in which case you're going to have to get the third branch of state government involved and get the, the judges in the state along law enforcement. Yeah, come alongside on that because they may say, "Well, we can't." It, there, there's a the state's brought a you know the, the defense motion is that this contradicts Roe versus Wade. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, so we're, we're going to have to go. Katie, thanks for being on the program. Again, Katie Short from Life Legal Defense Foundation. You can find out more by going to lifelegaldefensefoundation.org. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to become a witness against the evil, evil. plague in America, Call Created Equal at 614-269-7808. That's 614-269-7808. Or go online to createdequal.net. Createdequal.net. Be sure to tune to The Mark Harrington Show next time for your marching orders in the culture war.